Uh, we're going to start now in Exodus and uh, chapter 17. I promised last time I was with you, two weeks back, that we will continue. This is our 16th talk on the story of Moses. And I said we'd come back to this passage a second time because last time we kind of introduced the whole uh, concept from the passage of conflict in the Christian life. And we're following the story of Moses as a, a typical follower of God as they follow the cloud, so we are followers of the way that Jesus has set up for us. And uh, I'll just read the passage briefly again to you from Exodus 17 and verse 8. Then Amalek came and fought with Israel at Rephidim. So Moses said to Joshua, choose for us men and go out and fight with Amalek. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses told him and fought with Amalek while Moses, Aaron and Hur went up to the top of the hill. Whenever Moses held up his hand, Israel prevailed. Whenever he lowered his hand, Amalek prevailed. But Moses' hands grew weary, so they took a stone, put it under him. He sat on it while Aaron and Hur held up his hands, one on one side, one on the other side. So his hands were steady until the going down of the sun. And Joshua overwhelmed Amalek and his people with the sword. Father, we thank you so much for all that we've been hearing this morning, the devotion, the industry, the commitment, the vision. We thank you for when visions become reality. We just praise you, Father, for all that's involved. And Father, we thank you now for your word. We ask in Jesus' name that the Holy Spirit might come upon us. Lord, we know what we do here is a supernatural thing as we open the Bible together. As it's declared to us, it imparts life. We pray let the Holy Spirit come and do his unique work in our hearts. Fortify us for the battle. Lord, we've heard a testimony of Lord, a heart sinking with bad news and then learning good news. Lord, we, we all encounter bad news, difficulties, setbacks. Come and fortify us, Holy Spirit, we pray. We ask it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So last time we saw the reality of conflict, the first time that Moses' people had encountered that. They're on their journey. They've learned how manna is provided, water is provided, a journey is before them, and suddenly there's conflict. And we saw last week that that's, well, two weeks back, uh, that's our experience. That's the experience of the early church. They barely started. There was hostility, Sanhedrin, so you stop preaching now. And Jesus warned them there would be conflict and we saw two perspectives on that. First of all, Jesus, with his amazing New Testament teaching, love your enemies. Pray for those who despitefully use you. It's kind of, here comes hostility. What do you do with it? You pray for them. You love them. That amazing Christian comeback. But nevertheless, the reality of conflict, when we saw in Ephesians 6, where Paul says, look, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood but with spiritual forces of darkness. That behind hostility that we encounter, there is malevolent 
enemy that the Bible speaks of from the very beginning of the Bible to its end. There is hostility, a spiritual hostility that comes against us. We have to discern the difference there. We haven't time to re- go over all that we looked at last time. We just came to that fact that uh, many Bible heroes are fighters. They're famous, Joshua, Gideon, David, they're warriors. And God calls us to a fight, actually. And Paul says to Timothy, the young Christian, look, fight the good fight of faith. The faith is the realm in which we fight. It's a fight of faith. It's not a fight of fisticuffs. It's a fight of faith, but it's a very real battle. And I said we'd come back to it because there's so much more to learn from this passage. All right. So first of all, it says Amalek came and fought against Israel. So let's see, first of all, attack doesn't mean inevitable defeat. Sometimes when we say, I'm being attacked, we almost throw in the towel very quickly. I feel difficulty. It's like, oh, I'm losing. Now that's not what it says. It says, yes, there's an attack. It's a very real thing. We can go through such times when we feel we're under attack. Sometimes emotionally, spiritually, we feel hostility is coming at us. Our circumstances even. We can feel under attack. But that doesn't imply inevitable defeat. In fact, it says in Psalm 78 and verse 9, the sons of Ephraim were archers equipped with bows. Yet they turned back in the day of battle. You can kind of write shame in the margin. These guys are fortified for battle. Yet when the battle came, they ran away. It's in the Bible. They ran away. Why did they run away? It says, if you read right through Psalm 78, it says they forgot. They forgot their resources. And so they fled. You find with Nehemiah, Nehemiah is trying to rebuild a city. And one of the things that happens to him, many things happen to him. I mean, he's in conflict right away, really. But one of them says, they are going to come and kill you. There are threats, there are plots going to kill you. You can hear things of missionaries sometimes. We were in this situation. We were in real danger. Nehemiah's answer was this. Should such a man as I flee? Because they said, run away, run away, stop building this city. They're going to kill you. And Nehemiah's answer, should such a man as I flee? Now, was he Mr. Arrogant? No, he was aware God's called me. God's commissioned me. I'm doing the thing God told me to do. Running away doesn't seem appropriate. And so this courageous comeback comes, should I run away? And so the fact that we're being attacked, beloved, it doesn't mean, hey, that's inevitable. I'm going down the pan now because I'm being attacked. Here, quite plainly, the Bible is saying that's not the case. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us to put on the whole armor of God. But even before putting on the armor, it says, be strong in the strength of the Lord. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, that great preacher, he said, before you get to the armor, see this first instruction, be strong in the Lord. He talks, he writes chapters on morale, being strong in what God provides, and then take armor as well. We don't just give up because we're being attacked. We don't just say, oh, it's hopeless, it's difficult. Yes, it's difficult, but it doesn't imply obvious defeat. It's important for us to see that. Attack happened, but they're not immediately defeated as a result. So what steps do they take? Well, first of all, they take responsible action. Okay, Responsible action. Joshua, choose men, go and fight. Right, that's the first thing that happens. 
Joshua, choose men, go and fight. This is not a, uh, an, uh, an army of volunteers, not a ragtag crowd. Joshua, proven soldier, great general. You take responsibility now, and you choose men. Right, take responsibility, choose the right guys, get some soldiers, get some people who can fight. So this isn't just a random thing, it's quite specific. They chose those who would fight. Now, if we read the story to the end, which I did a moment ago, we know that the battle actually turned on Moses' prayer. And so it's possible to think, well, this is a whole story about prayer, and that just get to the prayer part, because that's how the battle was fought. That's how it was actually won. But that's not what it says. That's not the whole picture. The first step is choose good soldiers. All right? Take responsibility. Take responsibility. And it's interesting, there's another place where this sort of thing happens. Joshua 10 and verse 8, when Joshua is now actually leading the nation and they hit conflict again. And God says this to, Mo, uh, to Joshua, Don't fear, for I have given them into your hands. Not one of them shall stand before you. Well, that's God then. God's got this in, God's got it in hand. Don't be scared, Joshua. I, I have given them into your hands. None of them will stand before you. What's the next verse say? Joshua 10.9. So Joshua came upon them suddenly by marching all night from Gilgal. What am I reading? I'm reading God saying, I've done it. It's yours. So Joshua says, hey, guys, let's have a party. Hey, God's going to do it. Great. Pass the booze. Let's have a rest. You know, what should we do? God's given that. No, no, no. On the strength of I've given them to you, Joshua marches all night. It reminds me of the Falklands War when they came up with this word chomping, didn't they, whatever it was called, when these guys, they, went, they just broke all the rules of strength and courage. They got there so quickly, the battle was won because of these men's commitment. That's what it says in the Bible. God says, I've given them to you. So Joshua takes responsibility in the light of what God said. And the very next verse says, and the Lord confounded them before Israel. You see this, this, this united thing. God says, they're yours. Don't be scared. doesn't say they'll sit around. He says, no, no, he took that word seriously. Right, I'm going to act then in the light of what God said. And then it says, and God gave them the victory. It was God who gave the victory, but they were very involved. And so we see this is an interesting story. You get all sorts of quotes that come to mind, like Oliver Cromwell's famous, trust God, as he went into battle, and keep your powder dry. So a quote of Oliver Cromwell as his great army went into battle. Hudson Taylor says in his biography, when he first went to China, he refused to take life belts for the journey. He later changed his view on that. Andrew Murray, great Bible teacher, refused medical help as a young Christian. Later on, he changed his view on that. See, Anita Roddick, the famous body shop woman, says this, the only time luck comes before work is in the dictionary. There's commitment. There's commitment. There's action. Joshua, you're a soldier. Doesn't how oh, God's going to win this battle. Doesn't send anybody out. No, you're a general. Choose men. Choose men. We're going to get involved in this. We're going to take practical steps. We're going to take practical steps. We're going to be wise about how 
we deal with this. You see, otherwise you get this imagery, I expect you've heard this, when the clergyman stands in a beautiful garden and says to the gardener, isn't God's handiwork beautiful? And the gardener replies, you should have seen the mess he was making of it when he was on his own. <laughs> now, there's a lot in there if you think about it. When God created man, he gave Adam what? Responsibility to cultivate and keep the garden. So the joke's quite interesting theologically, actually. What a mess God was making on his own. No, 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 no. God made man and said, you cultivate it on my behalf. On my behalf. Adam was made in the image and likeness of God. He is a responsible being. He's not only a responsible being, he's God's representative. And dear friends, we need to just kind of wake up to this. I think what we were hearing this morning about education, oh, well, they, they do that sort of thing. No, no, wait a minute. Look back at history. Look back at history. We're going to step up. Well, anybody. No, no, no. We want to find some good teachers. We're going to take responsibility. We're going to take responsibility. That's what this is all about. We don't just see what washes over us. We don't say, well, well, see, well, well God's in charge. It'll all... No, no, no. You see, let's see, this is a very wonderful passage. I've been so enjoying look, working at it this week. No, Adam, you cultivate it. Then it says this. He brought the animals to Adam. He said, you name them. It's like, Lord, what do I name this? No, you name them. What shall I call them? You call it what you like. I give you responsibility. You're my representative. Take authority. You... Act on my behalf. The dignity that God gave to Adam is amazing. And we, beloved, as now in the new, the second Adam, in Christ, are given responsibility. We don't just say, well, it's all over to God. We say, no, we take responsibility. We make wise choices by God's grace. We make discerning choices. Man is a responsible being. He acts on God's behalf with God's authority. We take responsible action. How does this battle get fought? Take responsible action. That's what we see in this story. That's what we hear about this morning. So let's apply it in some circumstances. Let's say about evangelism, for instance. Well, only God can save. Only God can save. The Bible's clear. It's God, it's, salvation is of the Lord. Now that was a real issue in the time of the great William Carey, the father of modern missions, as he's called, who in the 1700s went as a missionary to India and broke open a new, actually a new era of overseas mission. But when he first stood in a meeting and said he felt a passion to go to India, he was actually told by what you might call hyper-Calvinist people who said, look, if God wants to save the Indians, he'll do it. Sit down, Mr. Carey. And then he came up with this great statement that's always associated with him. Attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God. Now that's a wonderful combination. Attempt. See, Joshua, go out and fight. Expect. I won't be on my own. God's going to be with us. God's going to be involved in this. We're going to see God, but you don't just sit back and let God do it. Otherwise, we turn prayer into something kind of ascetic, kind of religious, kind of hide from the real battle, because we're praying. We just close our eyes and pray. That's missing the point of the story. 
prayer, as we'll come to see shortly, is an incredible part. But so is taking responsibility. So is taking action. It's there in the story. In evangelism, go, speak. In fact, it's interesting to notice when uh, you find one of the breakthroughs in the book of Acts. The Spirit of God came to Peter while he's praying. And the Spirit of God came to Cornelius, who's praying, and asking God, can I know you? He's a Gentile. He's a Roman soldier. And there's Peter, who's a Jewish guy with Jewish roots. And they're both praying. And God steps in, and God speaks to both, actually. And what he says to Cornelius, although an angel of God appeared to me, says this Roman soldier. What did he say? He said to me, send for Peter, who will speak words to you by which you will be saved. It's like, oh, you've met an angel. That's the end of the story. No, send for Peter. He will send. We are hearing, and we know we are involved in missionary activity in Turkey. We're hearing of lots of people being saved. And often their first thought, their first thing is, I had a dream, I saw Jesus, what's this about? And they go and find a church. Tell me, what is it? Because it needs someone to speak. That's the normal thing. It needs a word. It says, it's God who saves, but how will they hear without a preacher? So we want to see many saved in, in, in Kingston area. We want to see many people. We want to see many come out of dark into light. But how will they hear without a preacher? And so evangelism, yes, of course, only God. Only God. I remember the night I was saved. There was a moment when a phrase was said, and I thought, hey, I think I believe. I was suddenly born of God as I'm hearing the story. But I'm hearing, I'm hearing. And so, beloved, we co-labor. If we don't speak, they won't hear. So evangelism, yes, only God can do it, but we take responsibility. We speak. Jesus said this, secondly, I will build my church. Well, there you go then. Only God can save, only God can build the church. So, hallelujah. So, it's up to you, Lord. Well, again, that's not the whole picture, is it? Paul said, I taught you day and night with tears. I thought God did it. Yeah, but I am laboring day and night. I'm praying for you. And he says, I pray for you. I work for you. I teach you. I'm laboring. And then he says to, he says to shepherds, shepherds, guard yourselves and guard the flock. Vicious wolves will enter in. You want to be on your toes. Watch out for them. What Feed them. Watch for them. Care for them. Build them. Let's lay hands on elders. Let's see shepherds carry. Well, I thought God was going to do it. Yeah, he is doing it. But we take responsibility. We build together with God. We co-labor with him. We help. We work. We play our part. What about, what about education? Well, you better study. You don't just pray. I mean, I went to theological college. Even at theological college, you don't just pray. You work. I had to do Greek. I thought, if I don't get on top of this, I'm never going to get through. I've got to work. I've got to understand this stuff. Yeah, you pray a lot. But you work at it. If you don't work at it, so, so you take responsibility. And th this undergirds what it is to be a Christian. Work out your salvation, for God is at work in you. That mix you'll find again and again in the scripture. What about building a family? Family. Even finding a partner. 
Well, some of us would say, well, I know guys who held this line. I went this way a bit myself at one point. It says of Adam, Adam said, it says in the Bible, God found a wife and brought him to her to him. Well, it's pretty good, isn't it? Just lie around and uh, she'll turn up. <laughs> Be careful one night, you might find a hole in your side. But uh, God brought Eve to him. Well, that's lovely. But it's a bit of a unique story. In Genesis, you can find Genesis 24, when they went out searching for, went out searching for a bride. It's a beautiful story, Genesis 24. Very beautiful story of searching. It's not inappropriate to take action. A very sweet friend of Wendy's and mine, some years ago, her wonderful husband passed away. We watched him get weaker and weaker over years. She cared for him, she loved him. And in the end, his life was taken from him. And uh, they were not old by any means. And she came to us one about a year after his death and sat with us and she said, I don't want to be on my own. I feel I've got years ahead of me. She said, I think I'm, what would you think about a Christian dating thing? Are you happy with that? What do you think? I said, so have you got good elders? Real good shepherds? She said, yeah. I said, will they care for you? Yeah, they're very good. I said, why not? Why not? So she went on a Christian date. She took action. And about the third guy she met, they just hit it off. They've been married together now for some years. We see lovely pictures on Facebook. She just said, well, I'm going to take action. It's not inappropriate, all right? You've got good elders. They'll care for you. Talk it through. Make sure there's shepherding care. But why not? See, sometimes we're just so well waiting for Mr. Right, Miss Right to come along. Yeah, maybe. I'm not saying that's wrong. But I'm not saying it's wrong either in a godly way to say, actually, I would like to be married. Not everybody wants to be. Some are called to singleness and freedom to serve God. But something, no, I'd like to be married. So we can take action. We can take responsible action. And then raising a family. <laughs> That's not a joke, is it? Raising a family. <laughs> That's challenging. It's challenging. You don't just pray for your kids. You work at it. Unconditional love. Creative, enjoyable love. United parents. You don't get one answer from one. But daddy says, no, no, you're in this together. Consistent values. Not one day she said this, another day she said, no, no, they need to know where they are. Appropriate discipline. We raise a family. You play your part. There's very clear instructions how we do it. We build, we build, we build. We take responsibility. Not, not like we heard on the radio this week. It's a tragic story of a 14-year-old boy who takes photographs of himself naked, puts them out and goes online, and then one of the parents is interviewed and says on the radio, it's the sort of thing teenagers do these days. What can you do? What can you do? Hey, there's a lot you can do. There's a lot you can do, and love, and teach, and take time, and express love, and affection, and discipline, and order, and principles. You work. You work. You don't say, 
It's what teenagers do today. What can you do? That is an inappropriate response. That's not what God's looking for. For us, you don't say that's what they do these days. You teach, you care, you love, you do what you can. Running a business. Well, the scriptures speak a load about this. Lazy hands make a man poor. I thought it was, no, lazy hands make a man poor. Diligent hands bring wealth. The hand that's diligent will rule, but laziness ends in slave labor. The sluggard craves, but gets nothing. But the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. See, there's responsibilities built into Scripture. That's what's from Proverbs, what's called the wisdom literature. The, the Bible gives us wisdom literature, how to live, how to, how to live. There's a whole load of wisdom literature that teaches us how to make good choices, how to put good things in place. Jesus says, he that hears these sayings of mine and does them will be like a man who builds his house on a rock. Who does them? <laughs> I may have told you before, I was on the platform and preached in America, and then there was a lovely response from the people, and C.J. Mahaney got up behind me and said, how many people have been blessed here today? And there was great applause. He said, you've been deceived. I thought, oh, what have I said that was deceiving? <laughs> in front of all these hundreds of people. He said, you've been deceived. I thought, what have I said? He said, no, no, the Bible doesn't say you're blessed if you hear. So the Bible says, you're, how, you're blessed if you do it. I thought, oh, thank goodness. <laughs> then he just brought some further application. You know, the, dear friends, we don't ignore principles. God said, look, do this. Take steps. Don't just be passive. And that's what comes out of the story. Joshua... You're a, you're a soldier. He didn't send a poet, send a soldier. No, he said, oh, what about when he sent the choir out? It's the only story like that in the Bible. And they had to go. He said, oh, well, he said send a choir. That's a fun idea. No, send the choir. You know, you do it. You take responsibility. Most battles are not won by choirs. They're won by soldiers. And they take responsibility. We take action, appropriate action. That's what the Bible's saying here. They took soldiers. They act. And beloved, if anything, perhaps Christians are not famous for being wise in this sort of way. And although there's almost an overboard thing happening in the church today, we can learn much from the business world. I would say tragically at the moment, the church, particularly in the USA, is going too far that way. Just learn your business and what your five-year plan and all this. You think, gosh, be careful. That's not the feel of the Bible. But nor is it the feel of the Bible to sit around and, and be regarded as just, you don't have a clue about life. And the tragedy of our modern communication, the television, whatever, the vicar is seen as an idiot who hasn't got a clue about life. He's just a fool. And that's how it makes, I hate those programs. I, I cannot laugh at them. I can't watch them because it's such a shame on the body of Christ that the church is seen as rather stupid. Here, this is not rather stupid. You get some pretty powerful soldiers and send them out there. And beloved, let's be real. Let's be people who say, right, what works? What counts? Let's really make sure we're not wasting our energies on religious stuff when God's given us things that really will work because he's committed himself to these principles. They work. They work. He's a wise man, Jesus said, who does this stuff. He's a fool who hears it and doesn't do it. 
That's Jesus' assessment. Okay, so if you like, that's the kind of first half of the story. But then we see the second half of the story. Where Moses says, right, you, you do all these things. I am going up into the mountain. Now, I don't think that's just for a good view of the battle. It's not like a general can see, oh, I can see how they're moving. Going to the mountain, I think, it says, I will take my stand. It says in some of the translations. It's kind of... In the mountain, the Bible often, in the Old Testament and even in the New, it's kind of, uh, it's a place of meeting with God. Elijah went up into the mountain. Jesus went up into the mountain. He was transfigured. You'll find this, these often the Bible speaks about going up. It's kind of going nearer to God. I know it sounds rather basic, you know, going up a mountain, but evidently, the clear, it's very clear from the scriptures that this is talking about getting close to God. So he went to God he went to seek God and he went into the, if you like, into the presence of God. All right, so here we see action, serious commitment of godly principles. Now we say, Lord, we are very much looking to you. That's how the story goes. Moses goes into the presence of the Lord and he goes to pray. He's, he's withdrawn from every distraction. He's not going to be put off by other things. He's, it's like Elijah was the same. He went up into the mountain. He just called down fire. The prophets of Baal have been proved to be liars and cheats. He's vindicated, but even then, no, no, I'm going to withdraw. Jesus withdrew from the crowd. He got into the presence of his father again and again and again. We find that the early apostles... Even though social action was demanded of them, thousands are being saved. There are some tensions. Right, let's give men this job. We must pray. They learned that being around Jesus. They learned it being around Jesus. So we have to pray. So Moses goes up into the presence of God. Okay, so it's not just, oh, would you just say a prayer before we fight? Oh, God, please bless the battle. No, no, he's going up into the presence of God. And the Bible says so much about coming into his presence. Jesus used words like this, go into the room and shut the door. Did you do that? Which room is it you go into? Go into a room and shut the door and speak to your father in secret. That's a huge privilege, father. Father, we come near. And the Bible's draw near to God. He'll draw near to you talks about come into the holy place with boldness and confidence that's the language of the new testament it's not just saying a prayer it's getting close to god and beloved i want to encourage you it says my outer man is wearing out every day i testify to that but my inner man is being renewed every day i also testify to that i also testify to that i'm making time for my inner man to be renewed I have to get into the presence of God for that. I have to get to be with him. I have to be in his presence. I love it when I'm in his presence. I love it when I, by the precious blood, we have access. And it says, by the Holy Spirit, we have access. Praying in the Spirit. Keep yourself in the love of God. He comes to be with God, the God of all power. The God who can win this battle. The God who can make this school work. The God who can make this church blessed. We come into the presence of God. So we're, we're drawing near to God. We're not just saying a prayer. You hear phrases again on religious radio. You know, now a prayer. 
Now a prayer. Now it's, it's, we've really got to learn the battle does turn here. The battle does turn here. He's, so, he's coming into the presence of God. And then we find this. He raises the staff of God. Now I made passing reference to this a couple of weeks ago. What is the staff of God? Well, it's a stick he had in his hand. But it's a stick when God first called Moses and, and God makes it clear to Moses, you are my chosen instrument. This guy is looking after a few sheep. What's that in your hand? Well, it's a stick. Throw it on the ground and it becomes a snake. Now take it in your hand again. And it's given back to him as an extraordinary expression of God's supernatural commitment to him. It's like a covenant. It's like speaks of covenant relationship. Like God called him. God wants him to know, look, what you've got in your hand is authority. You have authority before me. So even when he puts over the Red Sea, the Red Sea opens. And many of the plagues, it says he raised the rod of God. It's like, God, I expect you to do what you said. That's what covenant praying's about, beloved. It's saying, I expect you to do what you said because this is your idea. And you find Moses prays like that. He says, Moses is one of the most great, greatest prayer characters in the Bible. When God says this, and says, God says, you, Moses says, you said, you said. We've got, that's, that's how to pray. Praying isn't think, whistling a happy tune. It's like, Lord, see, prayer is responding to what God says he is. God says, I am the provider. I am this. I am this. This is my name. And so we come back to God and say, you said, and you called me into this thing. You, you said, and now look, at the, look what's happening here. Look, there's Amalek's coming. You said you're going to bring us to a promised land. What are these, these people? They're trying to kill us. Lord, you said. Beloved, I've been here many times. I've been there in India where we fought a huge battle. I've been in Brighton about the building we fought. Other things, we fought battles and we said, Lord, you promised. You said. And, and we, there's a kind of militancy, beloved, not only with sword in Joshua's hand, but rod in Moses' hand. There's a kind of militancy before God. Lord, you promised. You promised. You promised. And so the rod is saying, Lord, you are in covenant relationship with us. And notice this, that the prayer is in relationship with the action. Prayer is not an escape. You look at every prayer meeting in the book of Acts. It's not, oh, a prayer meeting tonight. Hmm. No, every prayer meeting in Acts is associated with something happening. It's not just a religious occupation. Day of Pentecost, they're praying. Wow, heaven breaks out. They're in the streets. Peter's in prison, we better pray. Pray, prison opens. Wow, that's exciting. We've been told not to preach anymore in this name. Let's pray, we pray. Power, boldness, building shakes, on we go. Every prayer meeting in Acts is associated with action. When a church is on the move, beloved, as we trust we are, when we say, like, Tuesday night there's a prayer meeting, we'd want to be there. Because that's where we, we release the power. That's where the, the breakthrough starts coming. It's not just a religious withdrawal. It's saying, Lord, you promised stuff. You promised us. You promised us. There's a thing next week. I'm actually wanted, I'm hoping I can fit it in. Uh, they can, there's a guy going to speak to pastors in town about the, the Christian history of Kingston. I thought, wow, I'd be interested to know that. 
what has happened in this, the history of this city? I wanna, Lord, what have, have you made promises to men in the past? What are the spiritual roots of this place? And I just want to say, Lord, you promised. I want to take advantage of what you said. Next, rushing on, there's passion in his praying. Because he notices this difference, that when he prays, they're winning. When he stops praying, they're losing. I mean, it's as serious as that. It's as serious as that. I remember something Arthur Wallace said years ago. He said, a work of God will last as long as the spirit of prayer that gave birth to it. I believe New Frontiers was born in a spirit of prayer. So that statement scares me and excites me. A movement of God will last as long as the spirit of prayer that gave birth to it. I want to, oh God, please keep coming. And Moses, Moses said, Lord, you go, help, Lord, help. And when his arms come down, I mean, imagine poor old Joshua. There's this soldier. He's going, wow, look at me. I'm pretty effective. I'm a pretty good swordsman. And then Moses' hands come down. Uh, what's going on here? I don't, I don't know. Hey, this is a one, one two, yes. Mm, oh, God, no. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's directly related to Moses' hands. The battle is directly related. When you honestly believe that, you pray. When you honestly believe what happens down there, no wonder it says about Jesus, he prayed with strong cries and tears. He threw himself on the ground, it says. He threw himself on the ground. This isn't some formal prayer. He knew everything depends on praying this thing through. He knew it. And when we really believe it, that prayer, that in the end, it's going to be prayer. It makes us urgent. It makes us care. Jesus sweat blood. Then we find it's fellowship. <laughs> There's so much in this story. He grows weary. Hey, somebody, hold this hand. somebody holds up this hand. Two or three See, sometimes people say, oh, well, we asked for a prayer meeting. Well, you did say there were two or three turn up. You know. There's only two or three. I love two or three. I pray with some guys in the morning, just two of us. I love it. I love it. It gets such agreement in two or three. Don't despise. It's just, no, no. These two, three. Jesus made wonderful promises. They, they fellowship together in prayer. We need to try and do that. We may not be able. We've got kids. We've got other things. We can't always get to the major prayer meeting. We've got this and that. Hey, try and find two or three sometimes. Sometimes ladies in the day. Can we get a grab an hour? Maybe with two or three of us. They just stand together. They pray. Perseverance, not giving in. D.A. Carson said this. We're a bit like the naughty boy who rings the doorbell and then runs away. Moses prayed until they won. We keep praying, we keep praying. Jesus said we should pray and not give up. Again, to quote Carson, Paul counted on the prayers of the churches to gain for him what otherwise might not be given. He kept writing to people saying, pray for us, pray for us. Then he wrote to them and said, I'm praying for you. And he says about Epaphras in Colossians 4. Epaphras is one of you always laboring in prayer for you. Laboring. And Paul uses the language similarly, almost like birth. And you ladies know much more about this than I do. 
laboring in prayer for you till Christ be formed in you. He's talking marriage. He's talking birth language. I'm laboring. Prayer then as work. Prayer as battling. Prayer as winning through. And then ultimately, and we must stop, ultimately this amazing phrase, so Joshua prevailed. (laughs) Joshua prevailed. It still comes back to, yeah, actually Joshua did it. No, no, God did it. Yeah, but Joshua, yeah, who did it? See, Paul says, not I, but Christ is in me. We draw down through prayer God's amazing commitment, God's promises, God's covenant commitment to us. It is how the battle is actually won. It's how, it's, that is actually how it's won. It doesn't matter how good a swordsman Joshua is. It's quite clear from the story the battle's won in prayer. Let's be a praying people. I love the stories of Jim Simbala. You may have read some of his books, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire. Church I was in in Springfield a few weeks back now. They don't have midweek prayer, uh, uh, small groups. I think, why, why don't you? Oh, we pray every week. We have small groups Sunday night. I will follow this guy on Twitter now. Every Wednesday, I notice he puts something up. Don't forget to be there tonight. Don't forget to be there tonight. They've got 9,000 in their church in a town of 120,000. 120,000, they've got 9,000. I said, what's that? They said, oh, Jim Simbala came and visited us from Brooklyn Tabernacle who built this church on prayer. He said it affected us. We pray. Isn't it a wonderful church? Great privilege to preach there a few weeks back. But they pray. They pray. So dear friends, as we start the new season, as Philip said to us, we start the new season, we take responsibility, amen? We take responsibility. We get involved in the action. We don't say, oh well, God will look after that. No, we, we take, I mean, we've had such great testimony here this morning. Hard work, cleaning up toilets, not very attractive. Getting stuck in, working, taking action. Behind the scenes, lots of talk, lots of difficult decisions. Setbacks, no, we're going to, and then behind it, difference, prayer. We pray, we pray, we learn to pray. We learn to pray together. We learn to prevail. We learn to say, Lord, you promised, you promised, you promised that we might bear fruit. We didn't choose him. I didn't choose God. I didn't research Islam and Buddhism and think, nothing. I didn't. He chose us. He said, I appointed you to go and bear fruit. Whatever you ask the Father in my name, God's appointed you and me to fruitfulness. He wants us to be his representative. He doesn't want a messed up garden. Just take responsibility. You cultivate. You cultivate. We name. We, 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 we just become people who know how to handle godly authority by his grace. Because that's what he's commissioned us to do. And then we lean heavily into him. You want to be like Jesus? He prayed a lot. He prayed a lot. Pilate said, behold the man. He's the man. He's the, he's the model man. He acted under God's authority and he prayed a lot. Let's stand to pray now. Father, thank you so much for the testimony we've heard this morning. I want to thank you for the testimony I heard of Krish Kandia last week of 
Lord, people adopting these people, adopting refugees, bringing people. Lord, thank you for action. Thank you for people who get their hands dirty, who get into the battle. I thank you for the provocation. Lord, I thank you too for the provocation of great men and women who've learned to pray and pray down the blessing of God. And Father, we just bring that word to you afresh. We, we thank you for our comradeship here. Thank you for the friendship. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for now hands joined in this other concept across the city. Lord Jesus, we pray for your help in what we do. We pray for your triumph. We pray for that experience. Hey, God is with us. The breakthroughs that come from God. Give us courage to keep going. Lord, when, when it's wearying, and Lord, we know, that we know there are mysteries. We know it's not like clockwork. We know there are mysteries. And Lord Jesus, your word says men ought always to pray and not give up. We confess, the, Lord, the temptation to give up. We pray, help us, Lord. Help us find friends who will hold our hands up. Help us, Lord Jesus, to win the battle for your glory. Thank you, Lord. It's your battle in the end. It really is. It really is. We'd be happy looking after a few sheep somewhere. But you called us into your battle. We, Lord, for your glory in Kingston. We long for it, Father. We long for it. We pray for Cambridge Estate. We pray, Father, for this whole region. We pray for the coming of the kingdom of God. Lord, let it come, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Philip.